Will this solution reduce the food system impact on climate, build healthier communities, and or increase generational wealth in diverse communities? We're really interested in building out not only our own platform, but helping other people build out theirs for the community and, and global impact. We know that the climate crisis is, is so big and dire that, that plant-based solutions are not the only solutions and that we should think about meat regeneratively as well. Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to food to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, general partner of Beyond Capital Ventures. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Nora May Kadena. Nora May is the managing partner of Supply Change Capital, a venture capital firm investing in early stage food tech. Over the last eight years, Nora May has invested in more than 75 companies across industries and various stages. Prior to her career as an investor, Nora May spent more than a decade in the aerospace industry as an engineer and operations leader. Welcome, Nora May. Great to have you today. Thanks for having me. Welcome. It's such a pleasure. I love getting the chance to talk to you about you, your background, and also what you've created at Supply Change Capital. I know that your career, as Ed mentioned, has spanned many different industries and and engineering, technology, and investing. Tell us a little bit more about what brought you to where you are today. Absolutely. My business partner, Shana Harris, and I started Supply Change Capital in late 2020, really on the heels of nearly 20 years uh, we had each spent in industry working at the intersection of innovation, equity, and sustainability. Now, whether we were Innovating within large companies like Mars or Boeing or co-founding nonprofits such as um, Chicago Fair Trade and Latinas in STEM, the themes were the same, right? Building, lasting change, and social impact. And what we found was that these threads converged in 2020 as we were each in what Shana would call reflection points in life. And we made an angel investment that would help us uncover the thesis that we now pursue. I'm an investor in your fund, and I don't even think I knew that there was one particular investment that helped you uncover the thesis. What was it? Can you tell us more? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. So Shana and I, of course, met in business school in 2009. We were part of the same small cohort group. In fact, I've I just had some Facebook memories from 13 years ago uh, with Shana hanging out with my daughter. But we've known each other five years ago. I traveled to Chicago to attend the Chicago Venture Summit, caught up with her, visited her, met her young son. So we've kept in touch over the years. And in 2020, we were each looking for the next encore career. And I wanted to learn more about food. Shana was the first person I called. She wanted to learn more about venture. And so we engaged in this cross-learning period of, of a few months where we were introducing each other to folks in our ecosystem. 
And she introduced Amsam to me, which is a company based in New York, founded by two sisters, daughters of Vietnamese refugees. They were really interested in reproducing the foods and flavors from their childhood in a way that was, you know, bold and and beautiful and and tasty. And we ended up each making an angel investment. And as we talked about why this company was so exciting to us, we started to uncover the culture, the culture thread Mm -hmm. around our thesis that is such a differentiator in the ecosystem. I could not agree more. I think when we highlight purpose-driven leaders and conscious leaders on this show, what we love is to see the multidimensional nature of what it means to be a conscious leader, thinking about all different angles of perhaps the impact that your company or your investments are having. And what I really enjoy about supply change capital is this nexus of climate and culture and even you know, bringing in sustainability into that equation. So how does culture play a role in your investment strategy? Yeah, we think about culture in a few different ways. Firstly, we know that multicultural citizens are accounting for, for nearly all of the US population growth. Culture is a, is a gateway to a more sustainable and healthy food system. So for us, investing with a lens for culture really means that we're thinking about not only diverse ingredients, perhaps first to the U.S., but also thinking about the kinds of founders who are bringing their their heritage to bear. We've made a few investments in this space. For example, we've invested in IO Foods, a West African food platform. Mm. We've invested in Agua Bonita, which is a Latinx staple drink that is being produced in a better for you and better for the environment format. So we're thinking about founders who bring a diverse set of technologies, crops, and flavors to our plates to to sort of accelerate this development of a diverse and sustainable future food system. I remember when we interviewed Kristen Richmond from Mm -hmm. Revolution who does all the healthy kids meals. Yes. And she said how critical it was to get kids to eat healthy food in these various schools was to make the food more culturally relevant to them in, you know, in their kind of individual neighborhoods or whatever was important to them. And and bringing in the kind of the recipes and other things was really critical to getting that change to happen. So that's, Interesting to hear it from you as well. Absolutely. And so many big businesses have been based and and even exits that I know, Nora May, you've modeled some of your potential returns after have been in these more like kind of niche or what we were was formerly known as ethnic food brands. But there is a big market opportunity. We're seeing this not only in, in schools, Ed, but also when we think about medically tailored meals, we're seeing new companies pop up that are really focused on not only delivering those healthier alternatives, but making them culturally relevant so that beyond a hospital visit, for example, if you're on a specific caloric intake diet or healthy diet, you are uh, more likely to continue on that diet because it's familiar to you. That makes a lot of sense. When I think about culture and food. I also think about another guest we had on this show, which is Ian Walker of Left Coast Naturals. And he taught us a little bit about, you know, the cultural appropriation of food and some of the climate impacts. So I'd love to move into this concept of climate with you, Nora May, but to share that example a little bit further to remind 
listeners of season one, he shared with us you know, the cost of transporting quinoa from Peru on a ship actually you know, it was surprisingly less than the cost of taking honey from Alberta, Canada on a truck because of the, you know, the the energy that it that it took to actually get it there. But he also shared some of the problematic sides of, you know, exporting quinoa from a place where it is an indigenous grain and is a food that is, you know, highly valued in the Peruvian culture. So if you could just share, you know, how do you maintain culture and not, you know, take away from different other food sources? And then how does that intersect with climate? Oh, that's a good question, Eva. We think about this, even in the in the meat sector, we consider ourselves a hybrid fund. We know that the climate crisis is, is so big and dire that, that plant-based solutions are not the only solutions and that we should think about meat regeneratively as well. You know, ButcherBox is a very interesting company, right? Mm-hmm. Meat, meat delivery, a lot of meat is, is, is actually imported from Tanzania. We wanted to really think that ecosystem and and think instead, how can we develop regional, right? We, we think about the re-regionalization of food. Right. So how can we think about regional ecosystems that are farming more regeneratively that can provide you the same quality of meat with a much shorter climate and environmental footprint? So we invested in a company called 99 Counties, which is operating in Iowa and operating under the mission of being able to deliver your meat from within a one day's truck, you know, truck drive. Mm. So that for us is a compelling intersection of um, thinking about climate and thinking about health in a real hyperlocal ecosystem. And how do you actually fund these concepts. Uh, talk a little bit more about being a venture capital fund in this space and where yeah. you are providing capital. At the top level, Supply Change Capital is an early stage venture capital firm. We invest in early stage companies at the intersection of food, culture, and technology. We have an inaugural $40 million fund that will invest in about 25 companies We've currently made 15 investments dating back to mid-2021 with a with check sizes ranging from 200k to 2 million. We've led three of these investments and they fall across uh, about three buckets. You know, in one bucket, you can think about the 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 future of commodities. This is, you know, deeper biotechnology, including fermentation. And then we think about the the infrastructure of the food ecosystem, right? What what types of technologies can impact the way that that we manufacture and and deliver food? And then in the third bucket, we have about a twenty five percent capital allocation to consumer goods products. Got it. I definitely want to dig into fermentation because that's an area that I'm sure you get a lot of questions. You know, just before doing that. When you look at your your kind of impact themes or your investment themes, you gave us these buckets. How actually do you overlay like what the impact could be of these companies? How do you measure that? Does that become a part of your investment process? It really does. So we operate under a theory of change and really leverage actually Shana's experience here in building out a theory of change, both in the nonprofit sector and through her work at Mars. And what it means is that beyond thinking about returns first, we also evaluate investments for 
the way they support our, our goals along impact. So for example, our, our theory of change states that we're looking for specific outcomes along three main sectors, right? Will this solution reduce the food system impact on climate? Will this solution build healthier communities? And or will the solution increase generational wealth in diverse communities? Wow. And what we find is that each company in our portfolio has met at least one of these. Many have met two or more. As we zoom out, if we were to take a snapshot now, right, 80% of our CEOs are either women, Black, or Latino. 60% of our CEOs are women. Something like 67% are reducing or reversing the food system impact on climate, and 67% are in the business of building healthier communities. And as we think about the landscape and, and how this compares to innovation across the food ecosystem. We're really proud of these stats. I'm really impressed with the generational wealth building outcome expectation and your, uh, I would say, authenticity in being willing to measure that. I think it shows the depth of your work. Thank you. It's, it's quite important to us. And I was, uh, I was born in Mexico, raised in Los Angeles. I'm the first in my family to, to head to college. And this is, this is a big deal to us. The, the perpetual voice in the back of my head is, you know, be the tap on the shoulder, just like there was a tap on my shoulder to introduce me to this world of engineering, Ed. And, <laughs> and to continue to, to offer that opportunity to, to so many others. As you both know, and you've talked about in, in various other episodes, the, the landscape is pretty, you know, it's pretty sad in terms of dollars in the hands of women as decision makers, dollars in the hands of Latino GPs as, as decision makers. And uh, we know through Kaufman research that the, the more diverse one side of the table is, the more diverse the other you know, the portfolio will be. And we're really proud that that our deal flow, right, built through decades of authentic work in the community is truly making it through our process and, and being reflected in our portfolio. I think many, many people will, will work on the, the, the top of the funnel, but when you look at the actual portfolio page on their website, not much changes. So I presume with that focus, you would not be geographically focused. U.S. makes sense, but I just, you know, you're not just like, local to wherever you are living, um, like some yeah. might say. Yeah, and, and we do span the U.S. I'm based in Los Angeles. Shana has a, a stronghold in Chicago. We have an investment team member in New York, and our investments are in all of these places and beyond, so including Atlanta, Georgia, Austin, Texas, uh, New Jersey. So they are truly um, all around the U.S. What are a couple of the portfolio companies you're most excited about right now? Yeah, great question. We, I'll tell you our, our latest investment. So I, I don't use any other qualifiers. Our latest investment <laughs> is in Dr. Andy Wallace's uh, company called Robigo, based out of Boston, actually an MIT, MIT affiliated company. She's really excited about biopesticides as an opportunity to replace chemical pesticides in our food, bioengineering microbes to hyper target disease. I see it in my notes, Farmer's Fridge. Is that one of your portfolio companies? No, it's not. Farmer's Fridge is a company that Shana helped grow and scale as the COO. Okay, okay, that makes sense. We have one of those in the Dallas airport, and I've always seen it and wondered, who's behind that? 
Every time I see one, I take a picture and I send it to Shana. <laughs> you know, there's one in the Victor. Oh. I was just looking before this call. I was looking at Farmer's Fridge because I was curious about the name. It was in our show notes. I was looking where their locations are and I was like, oh, there's one in the like the lounge of this apartment building that Eva, I would say almost, almost moved, lived in. Almost lived in. So yes. um, anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Sticking to the portfolio, I do think it's worth unpacking this alt protein space. I know that wasn't the example that you gave. And I think Robigo is, you know, a whole other rabbit hole to, to go down as well. But I know there's so much interest and intrigue and curiosity around what the future of our food will actually look like. Will we live in a world, Nora May, where we are eating primarily, you know, fermented vegetables and alternative proteins? Or do you think we'll live in a world that is much more hybrid and, as you pointed out, also hopefully more local? More importantly, what's your opinion on eating <laughs> insects? <laughs> Pepper that one in there. <laughs> uh, I was in Oaxaca over spring break with my family, and I will say that I did not consume crickets. So. <laughs> Yeah. I would be on the less adventurous, uh, yeah, I'm on, on, I'm on a less adventurous path here. So I, I think Eva hybrid is, is, uh, where we'll be for a while. Although I, 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 it is very compelling to think about some of the companies that are using fermentation and what it means for recreating the, the food staples that we know and love with much less impact on the environment, right? Compound foods, for example, out of the Bay Area can, can develop fermentation-based beanless coffee. Oh, wow. Meaning they can recreate the coffee that you know and love with, you know, something like 95% less water. That's pretty compelling. Haifa Foods started with a mission to create alternative flour. So mycelium-based flour through fermentation and through upcycling wastewater from food and beverage manufacturing and is now focused on, on actually creating feedstock for the growing number of fermentation companies. But as we thought about flour as just one example of something that can be produced through fermentation, you know, think about the supply chain, the policy disruptions, the, the policy-related disruptions, right, war, supply chain, leading to shortages of flour and think instead that you can create this in a single facility completely decoupled from agriculture, decoupled from climate, decoupled from, you know, all these external forces. That value proposition is pretty compelling. Ed knows a thing or two about using kind of byproducts of particular agricultural outputs, especially the beet, for other purposes. And, you know, one of the side conversations that we actually were having for this episode was it takes a lot to also build the processing facilities, the fermentation facilities, the large, you know, beer vats that we know to create the alternative flour. How do you, in your investment process, get your head around the CapEx needs for the businesses in this particular alternative protein space? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> and, and one we certainly think about, I mean, I, you know, before co-founding Supply Change Capital, I spent five years investing in hardware specifically, right? Thinking a lot about building uh, what we called things you can touch. We see some biotech policy enablers and also this growing ecosystem of infrastructure, right? We're seeing companies that are now 
offering IP and fermentation facilities as a service. But we're also seeing uh, on the policy side, earlier this, this year, I think in March, the White House unveiled a report outlining goals that will strengthen our country's uh, bioeconomy, it called, right? And it called on, on federal departments and agencies to assess the potential for biotech and biomanufacturing. And so we see this as a shifting view on the importance of biotech in, in food specifically and food supply. And so we'd expect that there would be federal opportunities for, for funding and scaling and then coupled with this growing ecosystem of IP or infrastructure as a service that would benefit companies. But it is it is high on our list when we're evaluating a company, right? What does it take to scale? And what are the capital sources that you're thinking about beyond venture? They Most founders know that uh, venture capitalists don't want to fund costly capex. And so they're already thinking about debt. They're thinking about grants. They're thinking about federal funding. I, I mean, I, I didn't realize there were there were policy changes. And I think that that's a tremendous tailwind. But also, you know, as Silicon Valley developed, I personally, just from the sidelines, see this as kind of a next wave of global innovation where the U.S. can lead once again. There's clearly a, a U.S. Uh, rah-rah statement in there. Here's a question you might not be able to answer. Um, I mean, when you give me that, <laughs> I don't, okay, go. Well, I'm just curious if there is an answer at hand. So there's kind of, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of options in between, but on the on the far ends of the spectrum, there are like startups that get going, and you know, they kind of find the model, they find the technology, they get to market, and they and they build it out, they get the capital, and they get to scale. And then on the other hand, there are you know these big existing food companies that might buy these commodities or might buy, you know, kind of incorporate them into the existing sort of businesses. And I wonder if you think there's, it's likely that one of those two paths will will generate more change than the other along the lines of change that you're looking for. Those three, those three. A few headlines come to mind, you know, something like where innovation goes to die. Right, exactly. (laughs) We had one of our MBA fellows actually dig into M&A activity by big food manufacturers. And, and just yesterday, we released a blog on, on M&A activity in the food sector. And it is, a, it is especially now with, with IPOs being where they are in Q2 of 2023, we're seeing much heavier M&A activity. I, I, I don't know. And I think in terms of fund dynamics, right? Returns, founders, kind of founder intergenerational wealth, which we we think a lot about. Those might continue to be there and under this MA exit scenario. Some of the climate and health impact metrics may or may not, you know, live beyond. It's a hard trade-off to think about. I'll just say we're like acutely aware of how different exit scenarios impact, you know, the change we want to see in the world. And, you know, we'll, we'll start to think about that with each and every company individually. Let, let me ask this question a different way. That, I, that's a tough question for sure. And I did preference it by saying there might not be an answer. But, <laughs> but another way of thinking about this is probably a lot of your companies are, are public benefit corporations or B Corps or something like that. Or if they're not officially, they are probably in spirit. Is that fair? 
Yeah, that's fair. Right. And so if they are public benefit corporations, Delaware or whatnot, then in, in these exits, you know, there would be a, a you know, fairly significant voice at the board level for kind of like, hey, is this really going to create the change that, that we want? Not, not specifically with your portfolio companies, but just in general, you know, do you see the, the kind of public benefit corporation protections given to the board of directors on supporting the company's mission in addition to their fiduciary responsibilities? Do you see that playing out that way in reality? Or, you know, is that just a nice to talk about thing? Not, not, again, mm-hmm. not your portfolio companies, just in general. I'm curious. You must yeah. have seen a lot of that. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting question. And when we started, we actually did have every company fill out the B impact assessment, not because we expected them to eventually become a B impact corp, but because we wanted to have a baseline to measure them. And we've 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 moved away from that to now create our own impact survey that is a little more tailored to the stages at which we invest. So it's interesting that you bring that up. But many of our companies are actually B corps. I don't know that I have enough data points to know what happens, you know, what's been happening post exit. I can tell you that from the conversations we're having with, you know, Fortune 500s, Fortune 100s in the food and beverage space, there's movement and momentum toward this lens of of health and sustainability, but it is it is pretty slow. The velocity is uh is not as high as we'd like it to be. I can't wait to read your report. Remember Microsoft's famous statement, embrace, extend, extinguish. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, Bill we're, Gates. We're, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love it. E, e- cubed. All um, right. Well, yeah. we'd love to get to know you more personally. And the best way to do that at this show is to ask you rapid fire oh, I questions. Oh, going to say go on a, a month long trip together. Oh, let's do that right. too. We can visit every food company yeah. around the country. Well, instead, let's just do the rapid fire questions. Yes. So, Nora May, what book yes. is on your nightstand right now? Solito is a book by, uh, is a memoir by Javier Zamora. And it's a story of his journey from El Salvador to the U.S. when he was nine years old. It is beautiful and tragic all at once. Okay. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Coffee. Yes. Um, I alternate regular. I alternate rise, actually, Another mushroom one. coffee. Um, and, I, and I like it in my supply chain capital mug. Does the... Low carbon coffee that you were mentioning earlier have caffeine in it? It does. Okay. And it is, they have a cold brew option right now. Wow. They don't have grounds just yet. We were, we were just checking on that because we are caffeine drinkers. Name something that is giving you hope right now. The growing number of emerging fund managers like us in the ecosystem. Agree. All right. So what is like one big trend you're watching in the sustainable food space? We talked a little bit about the infrastructure piece, right? Companies that are adding technology to, you know, paper processes like food safety, for example. So that's that's a an unpopular area we think is really interesting. Are there any resources that you use for staying up to date on current events for your industry? Or maybe a podcast or a website or even a newsletter? I like to read Food Hack. They write a lot about what's happening in food. And the new food order podcast is a new uh, and fast favorite. Okay. So 
you're a high performing venture capitalist, businesswoman, all around, all star. You must have pretty busy days. What is your favorite way to unwind? Hanging out with my soon to be six year old and our golden doodle puppy. Nice. <laughs> Love that. Kids and dogs. Yes. And then finally, what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Ooh, two pieces of advice. Number one, don't underestimate yourself. And uh, number two, don't get so lost in what you're building to forget about yourself. There's so much good wisdom. Deep thoughts. We get some deep thoughts on that. Yeah, question. we get some great <laughs> answers. A lot of people say, don't, us, don't, don't underestimate yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. I mean, if you want, if you want something lighter, I'd say don't overpluck your eyebrows in high school. (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) Well, to finish up, you've mentioned so many incredible themes. I mean, it's, it always astounds me that you are literally at the nexus of climate, culture, diversity, and then you have a growing firm. And you mentioned you're at $40 million in your inaugural fund, but where are you going from here with supply change capital? You know, we set out to build a firm that would endure, right? This platform where, where we could be sustained in, in both investing in the future of food, but also kind of living our life's work. So I think continuing to operate under under this community mindset mentality where we're really interested in building out not only our own platform, but helping other people build out theirs for, for the community and, and global impact. I'm always inspired by you, Nora May, and thank you Likewise. so much for sharing your story and your strategy here. And we can't wait to see the success you have going forward. This was really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter. And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.